This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player, this is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another Mike Missanelli Podcast. This is episode 12 of the podcast, Thursday, October 20th, and we've been doing a lot of podcasts this week. Following along with the great series, uh, the NLCS with the Phillies and the Padres. And so last night, they lose. And, uh, of course, if you are watching the game early, and I I have to uh, uh, give full confession here, because I got carried away like everybody else did. The way that game started out and was transpiring, it looked sure enough like the Phillies were this team that was just this blessed team that, that was going to win the series rather easily and go up 2-0. And once they got up 2-0, there was no way the Padres were going to come back. We were all feeling it because of the way they were scoring the runs. It was unbelievable the way that things were breaking right for the Phillies. And, of course, that turned around a little bit, and now we are 1-1. So let's, uh, let's look ahead, and then we'll look back at what happened in that game and some, some of the, the moves that were or were not made. Uh, and what this now, how this affects the Phillies as they go into Philadelphia for three games. You know, uh, there, there's a semblance of people thinking they can win these three games because of the crowd and not go back to San Diego. There's another semblance that say, well, wait a minute. The Padres put the brakes on them right here. Uh, so now this is a series. They're going to have to win it in San Diego. We'll talk about this in, in a second. But let's let's look at now what, what happens in games three and four and five. Now, when when Wheeler was pulled after 83 pitches the other night, I really didn't understand it that much. And a lot of people were saying, well, he was pulled because they got to come back with him in the series uh, a little quicker than they may uh, uh, have liked to. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. But I'll tell you this. The Padres have the the matchup edge in game three. I I know the games in Philadelphia. I know that crowd is going to be frightful to the Padres. Joe Musgrove is really on a roll right now. And he's the better pitcher in this matchup against Ranger Suarez. He's, I mean, listen, Suarez is not a stiff. He's all right, and he's capable of pitching very well. But the way Musgrove is pitching right now, 
I, I would think that the Padres have a slight edge in game three. If they win game three, and hear me out, because a lot of people were fighting me last night on social media. If you go down two to one, you are then faced with having to get a game four through the arms of either Noah Syndergaard or Brad, uh, uh, Bailey Falter or anybody else that you're going to have to throw in there. In light of the fact that Wheeler threw 83 pitches, if you go down two to one, wouldn't you have to pitch Wheeler in game four? Could you afford to chance it with Noah Syndergaard or Bailey Falter uh, and whole staff and risk going down three to one and then hoping that Wheeler and Nola can pull you back and then you have to have a whole staff to try to win game seven or if you go down two to one, you don't take the chance of falling behind three one and you do pitch Wheeler to even the series. Does that keep you shorter on the back end of the series? Of course it does. But would you rather be two and two or would you rather three and one fighting for your life? That's the decision they're going to have to make. And I don't know what decision they're going to make. I'm just loathe to trust. If you're down two to one, now if you win game three, you know, whatever. You don't have to even worry about this. But if you go down two to one, can you trust the Syndergaards and the Falters of the world to win a game for you to even the series? Or you go down three to one, and if you go down three to one, that's a very precarious pitch, uh, position to be in. Now, I don't know what they're going to do, but if you put two and two together, the fact that they shaved off some pitches uh, for Zach Wheeler the other night may indicate that they may be willing to come back with him in game four. I don't know what's going to happen. That's the intrigue of baseball. We'll see it unfold. And like I say, they could beat Musgrove on Friday night in Philadelphia with that rabid crowd, and we won't even worry about that. But let's go back to yesterday's game. They get out to a 4 nothing lead, and here's how they do it. Uh, Harper it gets a base hit. Castellanos flips it to right field. If you saw Harper on second base, he didn't get a good read. He was mad at himself for not getting a good read because that really should have been first and third. But they got first and second. Bohm, it's a sick, beautiful piece of hitting by Bohm. Hits a line drive to right center. Harper scores, and now it's second and third because uh, Soto, uh, Soto made an error. And, and that advances the runner. Segura strikes out, and Verling hits the fly ball, which Soto doesn't catch in the sun. Drops. Now, these are little things adding up. I'm going, oh, my God, this team, it's unbelievable the way they're playing right now. Even m- mediocre stuff works out in their favor. So now they're up to 2 uh, nothing. Sosa hits the line, soft line drive to center. That scores another run. They're up three to nothing. And then Schwarber hits a, a hard ground ball that Will Myers doesn't come up cleanly. So Veerling scores. It's four to nothing. And I'm going and I'm looking at, at Blake Snell, and he's got he's got like fright face. <laughs> and, and if I'm the Padres, I go, I, I can't believe this. They're up four to nothing. They haven't even done that much, and they're up four to nothing here. And it looked to me like I, I the Padres are gonna, gonna totally collapse. I've seen Snell meltdown before where he's, he, he's had 75 pitches through three innings. I looked at his face. I said, there's no, there's no shot here. Uh, and, and, and then magically, the game of baseball turns around. Because Aaron Nola gives up back-to-back home runs the following inning. And again, I, I hate the flashback to Cliff Lee. But Nola, just his location just wasn't as sharp as it was. He was up. And so two straight pitches gets them kind of back in the game at 4-2. to two. However, after that, he got three straight outs, and it, he went one, two, three in the third, and then it unravels in the fifth. 
Um, Kim with the single. Grisham flies out, but then Nola faces his brother. And the Padres put the hit and run on. And Austin Nola, who I don't think that much of as a hitter, stays perfect in alignment, gets his hands inside the ball, launches a line drive to right center. Kim, running on the play, scores. And all of a sudden, it's 4-3. to three And we go, oh, what? what? Profar with a single. Soto gets a pitch he can handle, doubles into the right field corner. Here's the question. At that point, would you have pulled Nola for Alvarado? The thing that Rob Thompson has been doing this whole series and in each playoff series is he's been pitching to the situation. And that was a very important out there because the game was unraveling. So the question is, do you use Alvarado that early in a high-leverage situation? That's a high-leverage situation. Instead, he tries to get away with Brad Hand. And Mr. Hand melts. He tries to to grip a curveball too hard, a slider. He hits Cronenworth with a ridiculous pitch. I mean, come on, man. You're a veteran pitcher. You The last thing you could do is that. So so he he plunks Cronenworth uh, after, after Nola had struck out Machado. This is why I bring this up. He strikes out Machado. Would you have brought in Alvarado there instead of hand? Or would you have left Nola in to try to get Cronenworth? Well, whatever the decision was, it didn't work out. We could sit here and look after the fact and say he made the wrong move. But the way he'd been managing, high leverage situation, I got to get Soto out in that, in that situation. And uh, unfortunately, uh, now when you bring in Brad Hand, he's got to pitch a three, three batter. So now the whole thing uh, blows apart. Drury single gives the Padres the lead. And then Bell singles and Cronenworth scores, and it's 7-4. Uh, and there's the game. Uh, Machado hits a launch shot uh, home run uh, a little later. Uh, in the game, and then Hoskins hit a, you know, he ripped that for a home run. But so now there's a game that you did not expect to lose, and they lose it. After the way it started out, I'm thinking there is no way. The Padres look beat to me already. And in a blink, because the pitcher really couldn't hold the lead, uh, that happens. And now it's a series. The Phillies are still in control. If you look at it, they needed to win one in San Diego. They got the one. My problem is when you when a momentum shift goes like that, when you got them pinned down, all of a sudden they get off the mat and they win the game, they're thinking completely different of themselves. And they got a really good pitcher pitching in game three, which puts everything else into play now with your pitching staff. So uh, producer Darren is in the back. The voice in the wilderness is with us. Uh, Darren, you're watching the game along with me. I was tweeting out, uh, like, there's no way. The Phillies are going to win this series. It's like the, the signs were all there that they was going their way and the Padres could do nothing about it. And in a blink, it turns around. What was your reaction to that? Like you, I've never seen – it was so obvious to me, at least I thought, that that team had cracked. I saw it in all their faces. I saw it in Snell's face, in Soto's face. Like you, I felt the same way. I'm like, this series is over. They've gotten them – they've cracked in game two. Uh, I, You know, and and – Nola to me, see, when Nola pitches, what people have to understand about Aaron Nola's delivery is he's got like an extra hitch in his wrist um, on it's with his with every pitch for his fastball. It's just part of his release. And when that little extra hitch is off and it's part of his deception and success. Correct. When, When he's right with that release. Correct. 
But when he's off, everything is up in the zone. And we're accustomed to every season at the end of the year, everything's up. That hitch is either worn down or he's, for whatever reason, uh, but the last few weeks, it's been strong. You know, even when he was on more in the first few innings, he still wasn't pitching like he had the last few outings. And it got the best of them. They needed a shutdown inning after they got that 4 nothing lead. And to give up the two home runs, uh, those two solo shots, was a bit of a kick in, in, in you-know-what. So, like you, I thought I, this team's cracked. They're done. It, but just it, that slow unravel, I mean, I, it's too high leverage a situation to bring a guy like Brad Hand in there for me. I probably Yeah, well, won. I mean, that, that's obviously the second guess here. So now uh, uh, we have a situation. First of all, uh, no, it's funny how Philly fans react. I mean, Nola's been untouchable. He really has. I mean, he's been just brilliant. And uh, so I guess uh, you look at that outing and go, okay, I, I can't kill him too too much for that outing. You're right. He, he as that high leverage pitcher, he he should have survived that game. He didn't. But I'm not going to say, oh, no, it stinks, which a lot of no. people are doing. No, uh, you're going to have to get another good game out of him in this series. But now let's let's talk about the the issue that I brought up earlier on what you do in Game Four. Uh, Musgrove and, and Sanchez. Hopefully the Phillies can win that game. But if they can't, they're down two to one. And now here's Game Four. And the best you could throw at him is Syndergaard and, and Falter, unless you go, you know what, I can't afford to go down 3-1. Zach, you got to pitch on a, uh, a day early. Well, what, how do you feel about that? I mean, that's I talked. I was talking about that this morning. And that's why Game 3, Friday night, you don't want to say it's be-all, end-all, but it's really crucial. You've got to find a way to win that game. You win game three, you can keep Wheeler slotted in Sunday in game five. He's already lightly used. We're fine. But if they lose that game, yes, you have to consider bringing him back on short rest for game four because the Padres have that pitching edge. When, you, when you're down in pitching edge, you can't go down 3-1. You just can't do it, especially when you've got two out of the three in their ballpark. Um, so I think you've got to consider Wheeler in game four if they lose Friday night. Friday night is crucial. Find a way. I really don't care. Someone, uh, you know, go get uh, Serrano the magic chicken. You got to win, or, or, you know, a chicken to sacrifice. Whatever you got to do to win game three Friday night, that to me is is pivotal for the Phillies winning this series. It is. You win game and three, you win two out of three, and you go back and you figure Noah's not going to throw, Noah's not going to blow up twice in the same series. At least you hope. Yep. It's the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Well, let's introduce uh, Rob Motti. He is the Associated Press head NFL writer. He just returned from the NFL owners' meetings where there was a lot of explosion going on at the owners' meetings. Rob, how are you doing today? Mike, it's great to talk to you, man. Yeah, like you said, we go way back, so it's good to connect. It, it is good to connect. So so just a quick in- introduction. So uh, uh, my producer for the podcast is Darren. <laughs> uh, you worked with him many years ago producing my show at uh, the old WIP radio station. And uh, it's amazing how you guys have all crossed paths and gone in different directions. And, and, and here you are now. You're a Philly guy, true and true. You know what's going on in the city, but you re- relocated to Florida. But I know you're still following that Eagle story. So let's talk about that first. Then we'll talk about some NFL owners uh, meetings issues. They're 6-0, and Rob. And from, from, uh, from your standpoint, 
what has happened to this team to make them, the, frankly, the best team in the NFC? A lot of great coaching. Uh, I know that Nick Sirianni last year, when he first came in, Mike, there was a lot of criticism of his personality. And, and I was one of those who wanted to look past his flower analogies and past everything else that he brought to the table and his excitement and maybe some of his high school antics. And said, let's see what this guy can do as a football coach. And, and we saw last year as they struggled early in the season, he changed his approach. He became uh, a guy who was going to turn the team into a run-oriented first offense and they dominated on the ground and that's what they're built around with that with that offensive line and and then going into this year we knew when they walked off that field last year against Tampa Bay that they didn't belong on this same planet as the Buccaneers and they had a lot to a lot to do in the offseason to be in that conversation to be in that mix and you know Howie Roseman gets a, a ton of criticism and, and I'll be right there with all those who who criticize some of the things that go on behind the scenes, but he did a great job in the offseason, upgrading uh, the defense and and then bringing in some pieces. And, and now you're looking at the, the fruits of that. You're seeing a team that can dominate on the ground. You're seeing a jump in Jalen Hurts' performance where he's become better as a passer. Uh, I'm still not sure yet where he can go, what his ceiling is, but right now he's made a lot of improvements. And they've also benefited, Mike, let's be honest, the schedule has been favorable. Early, early on in the season, right? Minnesota is a 5-1 team, but they came in here off a high beating Green Bay. They were ripe for the beating. Uh, and Dallas, it was Cooper Rush. And, and Cooper Rush, for whatever people wanted to say and create some kind of nonsensical controversy, he's not that Prescott. And you, and you saw that Sunday night. So they still haven't, in my opinion, beyond the Vikings, beat a team, a legitimate Super Bowl-type contender. But right now, that's all you can do. You beat the teams in front of you, and they've gone from someone that I thought could be a one-and-done playoff team. I thought they were going to win the division. I thought they'd come in around 10 wins but potentially lose a home game to a wildcard team, whether it's the Rams, the Niners, whoever, to now they got a legitimate shot at being at being playing deep into January. Yeah, let's let's look at the schedule. You brought it up. And um, listen, they, they have uh, pretty much been dominant over any team they've played this year. And I'm trying to look at the NFC – to see who else is at that level, and I just don't see anybody at that level. They, they have not shown the level that the Eagles have shown, and here's the difference. I see if you agree with me. I, I've been watching Eagle football for a long time, as you have, and covering it and the whole thing. This team seems to have the answer for everything. Like There, there are teams in the past that you thought were good, but like had that slippage. This team doesn't look like it's capable of any slippage. They do exactly what they needed to do. For instance, Dallas gets back to 2017 on on a panic time. They need a drive. They get it. They just march down the field. They get the drive, the touchdown. The quarterback makes a couple of really good plays, the one where he read the blitz back and off and he ran for a first down. It's different than any team I've seen in that they're, they're just not flustered by anything. Yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with the quarterback. When, when you look at that quarterback and what he's able to do uh, in a huddle, in a locker room, the leadership that he brings to the table and, and not being able to, he's been in big moments before in college. He understands what it takes and he, he does, he doesn't get flustered and the guys around him are not going to get flustered. I will say this though, Mike, their second halves, they've scored, I believe it's 37 points this season in the second half. And, and you're, you're going to have to improve. And whether that's adjustments, whether that's 
sticking to what worked in the first half. However, it has to be done at some point. They're going to need bigger second halves, and, and that could hurt them down the stretch. But, yeah, they needed that big drive. They got that big drive. They 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 kind of in Arizona they they kind of lucked out the way that that played out towards the end right Kyle Murray makes a couple bonehead mistakes and, and the field goal is missed and who knows what would have happened there but it, you got to be encouraged by where they are right now and, and and you have to think that what has transpired in the NFC the four teams who came in with the best Super Bowl odds they're all three and three the Rams the Buccaneers. The, the 49ers, the Packers, you've built a three-game advantage right now. And that allows you some flexibility to mess up down the road because you have a three-game advantage for that all-important number one. There's only one team that gets a bye, and nobody wants to come through the link. Nobody. I, I know Rodgers has won there before. I know Drew Brees in the past has won there before in the playoffs. I know Tom Brady doesn't care where he plays. But that's that's a legitimate home field advantage. And if they can continue that, they got some flexibility here with that three game lead. Let's talk about that uh, disparity in the second half, because a lot of people are talking about it. And I look at it like I, I think there's a there's a cause and effect for it. They're so dominant in the second quarter. The point differential is like plus 90 in the second quarter. And, and they, they 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 get such control of the game in conjunction with the fact that this coaching staff is so overly obsessed with explosive plays, either getting them or preventing them, that the defensive coordinator now says the only thing they can get this team back in the game, we've proven we're better. The only thing that we get, get them back in the game is we give up an explosive play. So he's less aggressive in the second half. And listen, I work with a guy on the Eagles postgame show named Seth Joyner who's crazy for aggression. He's always talking about getting one and put more pressure on it. But But I think the guy is so conscious of, not allowing the other team back in the game with a with a big explosive play that he plays down that way. It, so it, on one way you can understand, it. on the other way I see what you're saying that it could hurt him down the road. Where's the compromise? Yeah, and and you know what I, I think when you you've built up a big enough lead, Mike, you would rather that team if they're going to score eat up a 13 play 75 yard drive that takes eight minutes than that explosive play. So I can understand where Jonathan Gannon is coming from. You got a, a double digit lead. You got a 20 plus point lead, whatever it may be. If they're going to chew up clock moving down the field, fine, let, let it happen. Uh, th- there's going to come an opportunity at some point where you, you got to be aggressive. And, and I think it goes both ways too. offensively. Maybe they're, they're backing off a little bit. Maybe they're not as aggressive offensively in the second half. And, uh, I don't see this team being one that is going to take any opponent lightly, and that's a good thing. I don't. I, I I firmly believe they realize they're not good enough to look past any opponent. So when you know that, no matter what the score is going to be at halftime, they're still going to be able to go out there and and, and try and, and and try and stick their uh, foot on on somebody's neck. But at this point, man, six and zero, it's hard. It's hard to complain. I, I know Philly wants to look at the Ingo. Let's nitpick here. Let's nitpick there. It's hard to complain when you look around the rest of the NFC. Now, if we talk AFC, it's a whole different animal. The Eagles are not the best team in football. I know they have the best record in football. They're not the best team in football. That's the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I don't think they're the Bills, and I don't even think they're the Chiefs. But we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Let's talk about Hurts for a second, because I was one of these guys on the fence, and I needed to see some things uh, from him this year. Um, he has been uh, assertive and, and accurate and uh, a different passer than, than I've seen uh, him be. Now, if I'm a quarterback of the Eagles, I feel a comfort level because I've got two receivers that are unstoppable. 
I've got a running back who's really been consistent, and I've got a tight end that gets open every time. And I've got a good offensive line. So I would feel more secure. But what to what do you attribute his his change in mindset as far as him being assertive and accurate and confident in the way he's throwing the football? I think that's work that he puts in in the offseason. I, I think people too often come to conclusions and decisions on guys early in their career as if they can't improve, as if they can't go from being uh, a, a 50, 60 percent passer to 70, 65, 70. So uh, I, Jalen Hurts is a worker. He's a guy who, who's grinding. He's doing what he can in the offseason. And I, I saw some change. I've seen some progress. I still don't know. I still don't know if he can be that quarterback who can carry you and win you a game with his arm. But he's made that progression to where last year, Mike, he was a guy that you won with. He, you didn't win because of him most of the season. You won with him. He did some good things with his legs. He made some plays. He was a playmaker, and, and you were able to win together. He was more of a, a, a game manager, a guy you win with. I wanted to see him take that step to where Jalen Hurts is the best player on the field, where Jalen Hurts is having MVP-type first halves like he did against Minnesota, like, like he's done in a couple games this year. And, and, and this is a guy who I think can still improve there. I don't, I don't know what his ceiling is going to be. I don't know that he'll ever be a top five type and Aaron Rodgers, a Tom Brady, a Josh Allen, a Patrick Mahomes, but maybe he doesn't need to be. When you surround him with, as you mentioned, the, the playmakers on offense, that dominant offensive line, that allows him some leeway and that allows him time to grow in this offense and continue to work with the coaching staff and get better. All right, now last question, and we'll get to some owners of meetings discussion. Uh, I'm looking at the schedule. I know they're not going to be undefeated, but I could very easily see 15 and two or 14 and three at the worst. I mean, like, are we crazy here? When I look down at schedule, I see the same thing. I see a Packers game that's tough. I see a Colts game that's tough. You know the division games are, are going to be – the Giants are a better team. Obviously, they're 5-1. and one. They beat the Packers and the Ravens now back-to-back weeks. They're a better team. You could see a split there. You could see Dallas winning that game in Dallas. You don't worry about the Commanders. 14 wins is realistic. It, it really is, which is crazy to think. But then the way this the, the whole season has shaped out, and, and we don't know what injuries are going to look like. You don't know in any given week who you're going to go up against, who you're not going to have. But, yeah, that, that's a very favorable schedule right now. Uh, all right, let's talk about the owners' meetings. You were just there covering the owners' meetings in, uh, in New York City. A lot of explosive issues, so we'll take the top one, which is obviously the Dan Snyder issue. And then what Robert Ursay had to say, uh, saying that there is merit for, for, his, uh, for him to sell the team or the, for the owners to compel him to sell the team. And then there's the other side of it where Snyder through back channels and so, yeah, you want to do this to me? I'll, I'll, I'll share a lot of dirty laundry about y'all. So what, where does it stand right now? What feel did you get for this Snyder situation and what the league will have to do about it? So there, there's so much that's going on there. First off, so last week I sat down with Jim Ursay, the Colts owner, on a Zoom for like two hours, Mike. I mean, I probably got six questions in. I don't know if you've ever had the uh, the, the privilege or the pleasure of speaking to Jim Ursay. You can ask him a question, he goes for 20 minutes. The Zoom ran out, right? It, it runs out. He's sitting there. I'm like, Jim, ha- hang on. I'm going to have to send you a new link. The thing downloads. It takes another 40 minutes. I come back. He's still sitting there. And, and, we, and we, go, we go back and forth. So here we are. We're at the owner's meetings. I, I send a message to his guy. I'm like, all right, I'm here. Have him come down and say hello. 
right? So he, he comes over and, and they got the little barricade separating the media throng from the owners because they don't want us to go over there. So I'm over here hanging out. I'm talking to Jim. And I know, I know the, 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 the ownership's feelings about Dan Snyder. And then the cameras get put in his face. And, and Jim just goes off <laughs> and he says what he says. And let, let's not be uh, naive. Jim Ursay did not go rogue because uh, other owners were too fearful. He was sort of the representative, right? He came over, he said hello, he knew these people were going to come over, they were going to ask the questions, and, and, and it went down that road. Now, Roger Goodell, of course, says, hey, I caution the owners not to, uh, not to come to any conclusions until the investigation is concluded, until the investigation is completed. Well, I think a lot of owners have had their fill of Dan Snyder. Jim Ursay is, uh, he's, he's a girl dad. He's got three daughters. He's got seven granddaughters. And that workplace environment really bothers him. And he spoke up about it. And, and I, I, I believe in talking to a lot of people, um, he was the only one willing to go on record about it, but talking to a lot of people, they feel the same way about Dan Snyder. But now feeling that way, Mike, and actually removing him, that's a difficult process. There's all kinds of legal stuff that goes into that, uh, getting the 24 votes, uh, forcing him to sell, removing him. However it goes down, they're going to have to wait for this investigation to play out. And, and this investigation, I was told, was supposed to be nearing an end. But the NFL can really tell Mary Jo White, hang in there. Give us the report at the end of the season. Let's let's not let's not do anything in the middle of the season. So once that report comes out, I think it's going to determine a lot what happens with Dan Snyder. But uh, Jim Irsay certainly is not the only is not the only so member. It's, it's of interesting. So do you feel that there are twenty four that would be against him? Jim Jim believes, and he knows his uh, brethren. Right? He believes that there's going to be twenty four. Now. Will that actually happen? I, I, I don't know at this point because it's unprecedented, man. And it's unprecedented. And then there are going to be owners, Mike, who are fearful of their own demons. Jim Mercier doesn't care about his demons. He's, he's publicly addressed those. He's put it out there. Uh, he's talked about everything, and he's fine with it. But there are guys that there's some things that are probably in their background that they're fearful may come out, that may get exposed. And, and, and that's legitimate. That dirt is, is when you, the more people you talk to, the more legit you believe that Dan Snyder may say he hasn't hired any investigators. He may not have to have hired investigators. There's got to be stuff. Not, and I'm not saying 32 owners have uh, demons in their closets, but there's some. This is really interesting. It almost reminds me of a Senate vote where you think you got the votes and when they vote, when they actually vote, or, or I don't know if you watched the, the show Succession, where they're trying to remove Logan Roy from from power, and, and at the end of the day, when they all sat around, nobody had the guts to raise their hand to oust them. So it, it'll be really interesting to see. But some of the things you read are just just heinous, and uh, you know this guy is just a, a, a total uh, maniac out of control with his team. And uh, I, I, I'm curious to know why you think Goodell is so permissive of this. He seems to be in Snyder's corner. Is that just you know, just puffery or just, you know, doing the politically correct thing? What is it? He's he's always trying to, to be right down the middle and doing the politically correct thing, Mike. And, and as, 
as the commissioner of the NFL, right? He's working for ownership. And and maybe if, if he throws one owner under the bus down the road, other owners are going to be concerned about, could he do this to us? So he's got to turn it back into, he doesn't have the power, the authority to remove him anyway. That's got to be through the vote of the owners. So I, I think to be, uh, to be mindful of his position and, and what he can avoid down the road, he's got to take this stance. doesn't surprise me. That's who Roger Goodell is. He always plays it down the middle. He's not going to say, and he certainly wasn't happy with my question uh, at the owner's meetings. I said, were you, sur- were you surprised or disappointed that Jim Ursay spoke out when you told him not to speak out? And he's like, no, how do you like that? <laughs> but all right, Roger. Yeah, well, then, how do you hey, feel about it, Roger? Okay. So. We're, we're talking to Rob Body. He's the uh, AP's uh, head NFL writer, and of course, you remember from from the Philadelphia area and a regular shift on my old radio station. I do mean old uh, emphasis on the old. Uh, but uh, now he's relocated. I'm, 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 this is obviously not a video, but I'm watching Rob on the screen, and he's got this beautiful Italian Florida tan, living life, you know, down, down in Florida. <laughs> hey, do you, do, you, do you miss living up here, Rob? No, no, I was up there. I was up there for uh, Sunday night football uh, before I went to New York. It was my first Eagles game of the year. It was weird. You know, after 22 years covering the Eagles, the link, I felt like a visitor, man. Uh, I walk in there and it's it's 50 degrees or 40 degrees. I got a coat on. I'm like, no, nah, just get me home to the palm trees in the 70s and the 80s. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and let me say this, too. I've been to a lot of stadiums in the NFL. I used to sit in a 700 level at the vet. Driving into the link is the most miserable freaking experience that I've ever had. It took two hours to get from my hotel in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, to the link. And it is the only stadium where you have idiot fans who are completely disregarding the cops who are telling the, telling you to go into the park lot and then start beating on your rental car because you dare to follow the cops' orders. So, yeah, that's my rant. Yeah, no, I hear you. It's 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 almost as bad getting into Sixers games. I don't know what it is about Philadelphia. They can't get traffic in and out, and other cities seem to do it. A couple more issues based on the owners' meetings. And what was discussed as far as uh, you got Deshaun Watson coming back soon. He's now sanctioned practice with the team. There's a couple of other allegations. Where does the league stand right now on him? Is it like, welcome back to Sean and everything's forgotten or what? Well, they Roger said, and I was surprised that he went on record with this, and he said that Deshaun has fulfilled so far all the terms of the agreement. You know, the, the NFL really wanted him to go through counseling. They wanted him to, to get help. Like when, when I spoke to people who had who were privy to all of the details and the conversations, they were like, this young man needs some help. Uh, I think we can all have come to that conclusion without speaking to him, but they're saying that he's gone. He's taking all of the proper steps. However, there's another new allegation. Now this allegation is, is an old one. It's it's, it predates the suspension agreement. So I don't believe that they're going to change any terms of that agreement, but if anything comes out beyond that afterwards, something that he did after March of 2020, I believe is when, then they're going to have to take another hard look at this guy. I mean, I think he would be uh, – it would have been dumb of him to do anything after it started to leak, and and I, and I would hope for his sake that he's doing everything necessary to uh, get this under control. All right, last thing is that there's now a, a discussion about uh, a Roger Goodell extension uh, and how much they would have to pay him. Now, I guess he's making, what, $65 mil now? 
Like, what could they possibly claim in an extension? Like, would this guy, like, not take the job if they said, you know what, Roger, we're only going to pay you 20 mil? Like, you know, what? what is enough for Roger Goodell to be a commissioner in this league? It, it's it's for, to stand up there and be uh, really a, a whipping boy because ultimately he gets a ton of the criticism. It takes uh, takes it off the shoulders of the owners. He protects the ownership. He protects the shield, the integrity of the shield. And uh, for $65 million or for $6 million, I, I'm sure at some point, you know, there was talk a few years ago that this would be his last contract, but clearly it's not. And uh, there was only one dissenter in that room who, who wanted to uh, take, a, take a, a harder look at it. And that was Jerry Jones, who ironically didn't have much to say. Usually Jerry's got a lot to say. Jerry didn't have much to say on Tuesday. Hmm. All right. So what, 90 mil in the next contract for him? Jeez. That's the most stunning contract I've ever seen in history. It really so is. I've seen a lot of stunning contracts. All right. Now you covered the Phillies for a lot of years for the AP. Um, so just to get your quick uh, look, they, they, they dropped game two. Uh, I don't know what that means because they're coming back to play three in Philly, and that atmosphere has just been mind-bogglingly exciting. Uh, what's your feel on the series? I actually switched my flight from the owners' meetings to make sure I was supposed to fly during game two. I wanted to be home parked in front of the TV to watch game two. And, of course, first Phillies game I watched start to finish all season, and, and they lose. Listen, I, I was in – I covered that team for 20 years. I was there for 07 through 11. And I've said this, it's the best home field advantage in baseball is Citizens Bank Park. It really is because you can get on a pitcher, you can rattle him, you can really impact the game. So I think they're going to be okay. I thought they're going to win this series. Uh, Aaron Nola and wasting that 4 nothing Lee kind of reminded me flashbacks of Cliff Lee in the NLDS oh, yeah. a few yep. years back. Uh, but uh, but I, I think that they can come home, take two out of three, and then you just got to steal one in San Diego. And, and it, this team, hey, if Nick Castellanos can start hitting a little bit, man, if he can step it up, uh, it, it, that that would certainly help. My man got a big, hefty contract, and uh, uh, I, I, I covered that news conference, the last thing I did this year for Phillies-related. And uh, he, he, was, he was very puffy. Uh, come on out yeah. and show us in the postseason. Yeah, he hits baseballs for a living. Uh, all right, man. Listen, uh, thank you for joining us, Rob. We really appreciate it. Uh, continue uh, the great work. And uh, I hope to run into each other one of these days, Mr. Florida. Maybe I'll come Absolutely. down and hang out with you. Hey, I, I got a room for you, Mike. Anytime you want to use it. All right, brother. We'll talk to you. Let's move on. It's Thursday. We're going into the weekend of football. And so it's time for my picks of the week. Now, I am 15-11 and 11 on the season. I was 1-2 and two last week. First losing record of the season. Uh, in the three I picked last week because uh, uh, Oklahoma was my main winner. They covered against Kansas. Uh, the Minnesota Golden Gophers lost outright to Illinois, and the Ravens lost to the Giants. All right, so I've wanted to. So I got to come back uh, with uh, at least three for this weekend, and I I'm, I'm trying to zero in on it. I'm, I, all right, here's my college pick. I, I've decided, first of all, um, Minnesota, which lost last week, goes to Penn State this weekend. I'm not going to touch the game. Penn State coming off a bad loss to Michigan. Penn State started out as a 10-point favorite in this game. They are now down to only a four-point favorite. So the betters are, are going with Minnesota. I'm not touching that game. I've seen Penn State lose to Minnesota in the past. That line at the Minnesota line definitely going down from 10 to 4. 
Uh, so I'm going to stay away from that game because I don't want to go through the Yanks. I'm going to ride this week with the Baylor Bears uh, against Kansas. I, Kansas already had their moments. All right? Now they're starting to get beat up a little bit. Baylor's a nine-and-a-half-point favorite over Kansas. So Kansas last week, uh, uh, coming off a loss to Oklahoma, uh, now has to go, uh, try to beat Baylor. Uh, I think it's a home game for Kansas, though. But I'll, I'll take Baylor to cover that. That's going to be my college selection uh, of the week. And uh, let's go to, to the uh, NFL. Uh, I, 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 love, um, I love the Jaguars. Oh, do you? <laughs> I, I am sick of this Giants hype. I'm just sick. I'm sick of the Giants out, right? The Giants are so oh, they're so good. They're 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 five and one, and they're an underdog in Jacksonville, right? Jacksonville hasn't earned anything to be a favorite, but they're they're a home game favorite over the Giants. That's all I need to know. I'm gonna take the Jaguars to cover the three against the Giants, win the game and cover the three as a favorite against the Giants. Now I'm gonna go with um uh, all right, uh, who, who are the Dolphins playing this week, Darren? The Dolphins, uh, I like the Dolphins. I'm going to take the Dolphins. They started out as a three-point, uh, a three-and-a-half-point favorite, uh, and they are now a seven. All right, so yeah, they host the Steelers. They started out minus three-and-a-half. The Steelers coming off a monster win, right? No way. Trubisky is going to play. I think the Dolphins uh, now at minus seven telling me that a lot of people betting the Dolphins that game. It's gone up from three and a half to seven. So I will take the Dolphins and the Jags in Florida. It's my Florida jaunt uh, for this weekend. Uh, so it's Baylor. The- There's a lot of people, by the way, Mike, that, 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 that figure the top four of the top 10 teams in the AFC are all in the AFC. Yeah. East. It's a heck of a yeah. year for the AFC. I don't know about the Patriots, but the Jets are playing. The Jets great, are, right? and that, if you look at that line, that's a fishy line too. Uh, what it, the, the Broncos are actually favored in that game by by slight. I I can see the Jets losing to the Broncos, but I'm going to stay away from that and go just stay with the Florida teams, Jaguars and Dolphins, and and Baylor. All right, quickly let's uh, let's look at the Sixers because the Sixers opened their season on Tuesday night, and uh, and they lost to the Celtics. And there were, there were a lot of warts that I saw. Number one, the transition defense was horrible. I mean, the Celtics just ran them up and down the floor, scored like 24 fast break points. That just can't happen. That's a that's a project of coaching. you got to be able to stop transition because that's what the Celtics do, and, and they didn't do it. Um, it's no big deal losing the first game. The bench is not implemented yet. The bench didn't really give them anything. They're, they're not used to each other. So that's going to take a while. Um, and they have a home game against the Bucs um, tonight. They're a four-point favorite. That tells me a lot uh, about the Sixers not being a favorite coming off that. The Bucks are missing Middleton, Connaughton, Ingles. They're not there. Um, so they, they probably will bounce back. But However, there was something that bothered me um, in, in this game, and it was what Embiid said after the game. He said, uh, I don't think I was really in the game. And, uh, and he made a joke saying, I've been chilling in bed all summer. Dude, I, I don't need to hear that. I need for you to say, I'm ready to start the season. I'm going to kick some ass. You can't say, I don't think I was really in the game because I was chilling in bed all, 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 uh, all summer. Ha ha, not. That's not funny to me. Get ready to play the damn season. You got to lead this team somewhere. All right. So there you go. So um, now our, our, our potting, the parting shot. It, it will stay in the NBA. 
The Pelicans beat the Nets last night. 130 to 108. Zion with 25 and 9 in his return to the NBA. And you know where this is going. Nets fans, I've been trying to warn you. You keep getting conned. You keep thinking that there's something there that, that is not there. Ben Simmons last night. Four points. Took three shots. Five rebounds. Five assists. Three turnovers. He was a minus 26 defensively, Mr. Defense. And he fouled out in 23 minutes of playing time. That's my parting shot. I don't even need to say anything beyond that. You Nets fans are making me sick with your social media pronouncements about how wonderful Ben Simmons is going to make the Nets. He is what he is. There's nothing more there. And you're going to suffer the whole season with this dude. That's my parting shot. That's today's podcast. It's the Mike Missinelli podcast. You can get it on Bet Rivers. Don't forget to download that Bet Rivers app. All those games that I gave you, you get them right on the Bet Rivers app. Live betting right there. You can make some great prop bets. It's really convenient. Download the Bet Rivers app. They bring you this podcast, the great people at Bet Rivers, and we're glad to be associated with them. So we'll do as many podcasts as we can to follow this Philly series. And hopefully, it goes through the World Series. We did three this week, and we will do the podcast as we seem fit. Thanks for listening to the Mike Bissonelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.